Welcome to the Global Supply Chain Week and our panel on air cargo security, going to the dogs. My name is Eric Kulish, air cargo editor for FreightWaves and American Shipper. The pandemic devastated passenger travel and airlines have downsized in response to survive. About 25% of the fleet is still grounded and there are fewer flights. That means less cargo is being carried and less cargo has to be screened for explosives. As you may know, 100% of cargo on passenger planes must be screened by one of several methods. One of the side effects is that there is less work for screening companies to do, but 100% screening is coming to the all cargo environment too by mid-year, and that's going to be a big change for the industry. That's right, if your shipment is moving by freighter, it needs to go through one of the TSA's approved screening methods. X-ray, explosive trace detection, physical screening, or bomb sniffing dogs. Joining us now to find out about the ripple effects on the air cargo security area and the canine protection industry um, and how those and these uh, developing situations are impacting the industry is Eric Hare, president and CEO of Global Canine Protection, an Alabama company that is part of the Transportation Security Administration's third-party canine program that includes several certified companies that screen cargo for airlines and freight forwarders prior to loading. Welcome to the program, Eric. Thank you. Proud to, happy to be here. So the 3PK, 3PK canine, or yeah, is it 3P canine program or third-party canine program has been around for about three years. Tell us what it takes to be certified by the TSA for a company like yours. So it, it was first approved in December of 18, 2018. So uh, to get your approval, uh, the company has to obviously be established and it has to have, um, uh, you put a, together an operational implementation plan, uh, which outlines who your company is, uh, the leadership in your company, the training methodology that you're using, your facilities, uh, and, and, you know, operational aspects and how you're going to function under the CCSP-K9 program, and that's what the third-party K9 program falls under, how you're going to effectively operate in that program. And then you submit that document as a request to be a, become an approved entity under uh, the TSA's program. And then the take, approval takes three to six months. And then once you're approved, you become a regulated entity able to screen uh, cargo under that, that program. So that's for the passenger environment up until now for past 10 years. Uh, now we have 100% screening uh, coming for the freighter aircraft starting uh, late end of June. And in under, with passenger cargo, the TSA lets the screening be pushed upstream so that airlines aren't overwhelmed. That means freight forwarders and shippers can do it if they are part of the, if they're certified as well. And um, and as part of that program, some of those companies hire companies such as yours to, to do that work for them. Um, the TSA hasn't quite decided on the new standards yet for what's going to happen in the all cargo arena, but everyone seems to think that uh, canines are going to be a big part of the solution. You're doing a lot of extra hiring and training, as I understand it, to get ready. How many dog teams, you know, give us a sense of how big you are right now and, and how many dog teams have you added since last summer uh, 
to either gear up for this or for the um, or for the onslaught of uh, volume that's just you know going through uh, the air cargo system these days. Yeah. So uh, obviously the the pandemic and everything we've all dealt with over you know over the past year, there was reductions in passenger air cargo. So numbers numbers were reduced by teams, and we were lucky enough to be able to keep all our teams still. Uh, employed with the you know multiple different programs we're at whatever from the airline vendor uh, program and stuff so so we kept all those handlers and then what we started to do is because of the growth we have uh, like you were saying pushing that pushing that screening upstream we have a lot of our client partners are Ford freight forwarders so we have about 64 or so freight forwarders that we work with and then you know obviously airlines and ground handlers that work with the airlines on the site so in doing that, we, we kept everybody employed, uh, the volumes went down, and then what we saw was in about October to November timeframe, the news started trickling out a little bit more um, about the 30 June deadline for the IKO 4.6 standard, which is 100% screening. So we saw uptick in hours start to come back, and then now you, know, you have new clients coming on and, and many more hours that are coming back quickly. So we're sitting, our company's about 220 people right now, uh, we have about we have active in 33 cities. We're sitting at about 137 uh, screening teams under this program alone, and we have about 54 people in training right now that are in different stages of that eight weeks of training to to be certified and, and move out to the uh, I call it the field right at different different locations. But by by one July, we'll be sitting somewhere in the realm of you know 220 teams that will be out there screening cargo. Interesting. So. Um... So if if you get if you're hiring like that or, or building up your um, team and everybody else is doing that, is there going to be a shortage of dogs uh, of these bomb sniffing dogs if everyone goes that route? Um, and, and then can the industry meet the demand? The, the industry can meet the demand. There's so what we're pulling from you. Know, there's only a couple. There's only so many um, areas and locations to pull quality canines from, and everyone's pulling them from police departments in the U.S. to Department of State to, you know, TSA itself with its TSA program, canine program, and, and third-party canine and, and everywhere. So as long as you have a good procurement profile, then you, you can get good dogs. And, and so the dogs aren't the problem and the people aren't the problem. Uh, the pipeline for both is, you know, people are looking for work. People are looking to change what they're doing. Uh, and the canine profession is, it's a profession, and it pays pretty well for someone that just needs a high school diploma and be a U.S. citizen currently. So those pipelines, they won't, they don't, they don't run out. What, what runs out is time, because it takes time to to go to Europe or somewhere and procure canines. And it takes time to train them for explosive detection, and then it takes time to train a person. So, as as anyone, as the industry is slow walks or um, TSA's, you know, if it's not pushing to meet the deadline, and everyone understand the deadline, we still have client partners that. Uh, just they're not all getting the information from TSA that this deadline's coming. They're getting it, you know, through as a charter or through their their chain from whether it's an airline on down. And the timing is is what's going to not is going to be the problem when it comes to meeting the deadline. It you know it takes eight weeks to train a dog, eight weeks to train a person. Then you have to certify and put them out there. So when you start looking at you know a twenty week or more process, you really by end of March, you have to have your pipeline full to meet the needs for one July, you know, 30 June. So, um, so that the problem is not going to again. That's a long answer to that, but it's not going to be the, it's not going to be a pipeline of people and canines. 
it's going to be the timing of when people stand up their program to meet the hundred percent. But you know, they can use other methods as well. Right. Too. So, so okay, um, the only answer. So you know, in theory, by you know next year or the year after or whatever, the the canine sector could build up enough uh, capacity to do this. But you know, with people not being really prepared or the rule not being finalized, trying to get trying to be ready by the end of June or, or you know tail end of the year, that that's the that's the crunch. Um, and like you said, people can also use X-ray and, and other uh, forms of security checks and inspections. But um, um, that that's kind of the where the crunch comes. Um, let me ask you. You mentioned about you know procuring these uh, dogs uh, and other organizations procuring dogs. Do you use a specific type of dog at Global Canine Protection and? Where do you get them from? You know, is there a pipeline for dogs you recruit? And and also tell us uh, about the handlers. Uh, how do you find them? The majority of our pipeline comes from Hungary, um, and and I would say at least ninety five percent of our canines are either Belgian Malinois, Dutch Shepherds, or German Shepherds, and that's because it, we choose them for the environment they're working in, the intellect, the bonding, all the things that put them in their, the olfactory, all the things that put them above uh, a sporting breed, like a floppier or something like that. Um, and then and that's the majority. And, and the work, the work environment is pretty austere. You know, it's not, it's not, you're not, they're not riding around in a car all day. They're in a, they're in a cargo facility that's, you know, sometimes not heated, not air conditioned. It's just, it's, there's so many different parameters in there. And then, then we do have a pipeline that we use Auburn University. We do get, we do, uh, procure some floppier dogs for the cargo world, but most of our floppiers we use in the commercial sporting and entertainment. Uh, but those dogs are high drive dogs, are very good dogs um, for that. The people, people pipeline, well, and with the pandemic, you know, now we're we're procuring dogs based on watching videos and then they're shipped over because, you know, travels is hindered uh, in this process. So we found a workaround with our vendors to still be able to procure dogs at the same rate we were uh, 20 to 30 a month. And just doing it by video and then shipping back and forth instead of the visits. So that, that did speed up the process a little bit. The personnel pipeline, um, it's a pretty robust pipeline. We were, we were able to partner with the Department of Defense. Uh, they have a skills, skills bridge program for reserves and National Guardsmen and women. And then they have a civilian skills program, which are soldiers that are transitioned out of the military. Um, the Army pairs them with businesses that have qualified under a system to come to work at your location for up to six months and train, and then hopefully, you know, get work after that. So we have a large majority of people that are coming from both those programs out of the military, which fits well with what we're doing because all our teams are decentralized. You know, you're out in our headquarters in Alabama, you're at LAX and, you know, we have site leadership there, but you're out there on that island and each city is its own island. So you, you want handlers that you can train that are able to work, you know, remotely by themselves, you know, minimal supervision on a daily basis and, and do the right things. <clears throat> and then we have a normal pipeline, which is, you know, law enforcement, uh, people with former law enforcement. And then really we, we have people that have never, never done anything with canines before. And we put them through a longer process to, to get them out there and OJT and then training. So you mentioned uh, that you've adapted uh, to COVID by not having to make these trips to, to, procure the dogs. Uh, I think you mentioned to me before that the company in Hungary, uh, you have a good relationship with them. So 
they know what you're looking for. They give you videos of the uh, dogs to preview, and then and then you um, you know sign off for which ones to send over. Um, what um, is there any other way that COVID has either slowed down the training, or or I guess rather than I guess the question should be: it Sounds like you've adapted and and you are been able to maintain your training processes. So you know by taking some precautions and, and keep training because of your, you know, the ability or the size of your facility. Can you tell us how you've been able to adjust? Yeah. So our, our facilities, our training facilities are 75,000 square foot training facility. That's our primary facility. And we have a, a couple alternates in our area where we are in Alabama. And, you know, we were able with that size of facility, we're able to set up all the five different venues in our training facility. And we practice the social distancing, the mask wearing, uh, we have our own lodging and then just spread out the lodging. We have partnerships with uh, Hilton and Hampton Inn and some of the other uh, hotel chains. But one of the big factors that has mitigated a lot of that risk is we have a we have our own company called SafeScan and we do thermal temperature screening remotely for clients. Well, we have that system in our facility as well. So every when everyone any time you come in and out of the building, <clears throat> you're being remotely scanned, uh, and our command center monitors it. And so you're getting your temperature scanned and we have COVID dogs. You know, we're the first company out there to do large mass COVID dogs. We're doing it with the Miami Heat and other clients, but we have those dogs in our facility as well. So we have an overlapping of checks and balances. We, we developed our own wellness app, excuse me. We developed our own wellness app. So our teams fill out that wellness app before they even come in. Uh, And it just starts the process of, you know, being honest, have you been around this stuff? Then you come through the thermal screening, possibly the COVID dog, whatever we need to do. And we continue to keep social distancing. So that's one thing. And through the pandemic, uh, we stopped when Alabama and everybody shut down, we shut down as well. But once things got opened back up since October, um, we haven't slowed down at all. We've been, you know, high volume of students each month. That's great. Now, you said you kept uh, purchasing uh, dogs, uh, even during the slowdown a little bit. Um, Did other, I understand maybe other Law enforcement, other canine companies, you know, made fewer purchases or cut back because business was down um, uh, when the airline industry tanked. Um, how did you know? How has that benefited you, or how, why did you continue and buying um, resources? And, and has that benefited you at the end of the day? Yeah. So, so our facility, you know, we have two facilities. We can hold up to about 130 canines at a time uh, in the training process. So. Our vendors, you know, our primary vendor, you know, in Hungary, when the pandemic hit, they obviously they have multiple clients that purchase canines from them. So they were hit pretty hard and because no one was buying canines. Well, they, you know, they have families to feed and, and employees to take care of as well. So we made the decision that, you know, we knew that the Ikea rule was coming. We knew that we were going to have these dogs. And then we knew when things opened up, we, we said, you know, everyone's going to be racing to get the canines. So what we did was we 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 actually I think it even made our relationship better with our vendor because we we continued to purchase canines less than what we normally would have but we continued to purchase them to still give them a revenue line uh, for the, to take care of their family and their employees and it gave us the opportunity to uh, make sure we had enough trained dogs on the shelf that way when the speed started hitting and we started bringing in you know 20 30 students every training class that we had enough canines to meet that need so. So it was a, it was a, it was best for, it was best case scenario for us. Have you become kind of like a preferred, a preferred customer for them? You kind of get 
pick of the litter now because you stuck with them? That, yes, we do. Um, so before we go, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned it briefly um, about the work you're doing with the Miami Heat and checking people for COVID. Um, you know, that was uh, in the news a lot. And uh, I didn't realize at the time that it was Global Canine Protection doing that. So I think our audience might be interested in learning a little bit more about that. How, how did you decide to get into that uh, line of work? How did you realize it was a potential business opportunity and or that the, the dogs could actually detect uh, whether someone's got COVID? And um, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, the science has proven that the canines can almost detect anything that has an odor signature, the, the canines can be taught to, to, to react to that. Um, you know, the cancers, all the different th set, different type of things. And so, you know, a lot of, there was started a lot of work, and we talked about this last year, there was a lot of work in the VOCs and how can a canine detect uh, the VOCs from the swabs or the, the masks or the clothing and stuff. And it was being proven that it can, you just can't scale that and commercialize it because you're working with more or less an active virus. So we, we, were, we partnered with a group called SNF, uh, and they had been working with a couple scientists on developing a training aid that was non-viral that you could that, that you could continue to you can use for the canines on a every couple hour basis in a in a operational environment. So when we partnered with them, we took what they were doing in their process, we enhanced it with our team. Uh, we have a team of, of individuals that do person-born, you know, explosive detection. So we did some modifications in how it's used, uh, worked with the lab and worked with the scientist on the training aid itself. And then we got it down to where, and then we started working with a couple uh, urgent clinics and hospitals uh, with volunteers who were either asymptomatic or symptomatic and started running. We ran about three or four tests. Uh, and then we have ongoing tests for more of a longitudinal study. And the, the canines, if, if you compare it to the PCR and then the canine in a controlled environment with the odor rec, the canines were well above 95% uh, on detecting in some form of someone with the COVID virus. So, and now we're in Miami right now, like you said, working with the Miami Heat, we're doing a, a big test with uh, Jackson Health. Uh, again, just continue to validate the process and put it in different operational environments. And we're seeing a lot of success with it. So, um, you know, the goal here is to, to give people uh, a, a better um, feel of mind that they can go out, they can go to these events, uh, they can they can get somewhat back to some kind of normal uh and you know just just trying to help america open back up you know uh got it well that that's fascinating uh, actually i was watching the miami heat last night uh playing the golden state warriors they were up by 10 going into the fourth quarter so uh i'll have to go check the score and, and see how that, that game ended so uh well listen eric uh fascinating stuff uh, your work your company's doing uh uh, great work uh, for on security and for health with COVID. So you're you're providing a great resource to the American public. Uh, I appreciate your time, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining Freight Waves on this event. Thank you. We appreciate it. Take care.